Welcome to FO Podcasts. With me is Christopher Rupershell, a long-haired chap who once ran for Congress. Now he just sits in his carriage house and speaks to me. <laughs> so, Christopher, uh, yeah, uh, uh, you died a premature death uh, at the hustings. I did. And uh, is uh, Donald Trump going to finally die at the polls? Well, to to first of all, uh, go back to what you said about me. I, I was told that you had such a sexy voice that I went and got a cold last week. So I'm I'm hoping to uh, somehow compete with you on this this platform. Uh, Jeremy, me, I hope it wasn't a man who said that. I'm was... open minded, but not that open minded. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Many women. Um, Donald Trump's not looking very good right now. Uh, most he of never his, looked good. He, ne- he never looked well in his youth. Me. In his youth, at his fighting weight. I, I I always saw him as a chubby fucker. He might have been, but he certainly seems to do well with the ladies. So so let's give him at least that. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump is is not doing well right now. I mean, take away the January sixth committee, take away the lawsuit that he just lost uh, in New York City, or rather his company lost. Mm. And you have to face yourself with the fact that his candidates lost massively, and he's reeling from that. Then you take into account the fundraising prospects he has. You take into account uh, Ron DeSantis, the the new wunderkind of the right uh, or of Republicans. So Donald Trump has never been beloved by the party. But he has been very much promoted by the base. The base has loved him for a long time. So are we seeing uh, effectively a divorce of the base from Donald Trump? Because the, the, the party itself was never particularly wedded to him. Oh, some argue that he conducted a hostile takeover of the Republican Party. He did one of the Bushes with more money than God's in the primaries. Well, and Bush did start off with quite a bit yeah. of money. I don't remember if it was 40 or $60 million. He was the, the front, front runner. runner. I, yeah. I, I think and it's, he was ex-governor of Florida, too. He had the bona fides, yeah. yes. Uh, the money is, is bigger now. Ron DeSantis has in excess or had in excess of $100 million, roughly. What Not Trump bad, has huh? now? No, it it it's massive and it's it's a huge uh, first mover, you know, <laughs> running start, if oh, you will. Oh, the land of opportunity, exactly. Well, and free markets and democracy. Well, but there's another thing to keep in mind, and that Florida matters more now mm. than it used to mm. be. Florida's become a big story. Florida is where uh, a lot of the New York billionaires are moving. And uh, are they going to vote Republican or Democrat? Well, if we look at the last election, more voted Republican. Uh, oh. The Democrats are largely giving up to a degree Florida as a swing state. I see. So there's a lot of money there. And that brings us to. So the more pro- billionaires means they want lesser taxes, which means Florida turns red. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it means there's more money that is looking to support a candidate that's probably not Trump right now. Uh, Ron Why De- not Trump? What's wrong with him? Well, Donald Trump. Melania still likes him. She does, and apparently and, and, so. And and you know what? Donald Trump is doing very well with his uh, his past lady friends, and uh, I salute him. But it's not what's going to win you an election. He doesn't. He hasn't articulated a platform. Uh, not one that well, surely at least there I've is heard. one. Make America great again. Well, make America great again, again. And, and a rehash exactly. of the old platform, in addition to the vitriol and the revenge 
you know, or vengeance against his old enemies. I don't think that that is what Americans are looking for. They want a forward-looking vision. You mean they don't want a godfather? They, <laughs> well, the depends on well. the trust fund. <laughs> I think, uh, although that trust fund may be dwindling, we'll see. But uh, I, I think that Donald Trump is going to have some fundraising problems. In fact, a lot of people said this is why he was going to announce early that he saw the defection of his big donors. And over Thanksgiving weekend, we saw Steve Schwartzman uh, say that he was going to support DeSantis. Uh -huh. So a lot of people thought that Donald Trump announcing early was meant to cauterize this, this, this flood, this flow, this bleeding of donors. By the way, our listeners should know that Steve Schwartzman is a billionaire, a multi-billionaire, a private equity head honcho, who throws fantastically lavish parties with dancing girls as the Romans did. CEO of Blackstone, no bunga bunga parties. I know you want to be invited at all. <laughs> so. uh, well, I want to be invited to Berlusconi's parties. They are better. Those are the bunga bungas, yeah, man. Bunga yeah. bunga. Yeah. Bunga bunga. Okay, all right, all right. Pronunciation wrong. The whole idea, I get though. Uh, no, I thought I was going to get invited to your Texan parties. I've been watching Charlie Wilson's war again and again. So I want to be invited to your slave auction. Well, no, 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 no. Full disclosure, no slave auctions, no cocaine, no hookers, no whatever. We live a very staid, quiet existence over here. So you say. So I say. So I say. Hey, look, my record's clean, buddy, and and, and uh, I, there's there's nothing I've ever done that I won't talk about. So excellent. Uh, I know you have you have high expectations for what I might exactly. do. I'm very simple-minded. <laughs> you want to tell us just how simple? Oh. I, 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 Listen to stuttering. I, you know, I, 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 I have a grandmother who comes from the Chandil clan, and the Chandil clan built the Khajuraho temples, the most erotic temples in human history. So I, I, I'm a prisoner of my genes. Did, did you just put your grandmother in the same sentence as erotic temples? Yes, exactly. All right, I, you know, that's, hey, hey, however you roll, man. Exactly. I, I, I can't do anything about my heritage. I just spent two months in India, as you know, with you, yeah. uh, principally with you. And I can tell you, I did not see any grandmothers at erotic temples. And because I, you were in Gujarat. I was, I was in Gujarat. prohibition and which is a land of Jains and which believes in asceticism. Uh, so you, you chose your poison. That, that, well, yeah, I wasn't poisoned by the grandmothers in erotic temples. So, uh, But to get back to Trump, Trump uh, really has an uphill battle. He has a lot of money, 100, 100 million plus, but a lot of that he can't get to pay for his own White House run. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, you have Ron DeSantis, who is seemingly awash in money. He has a lot of the big money donors who are going to him. Uh, he's doing very well. And Ron DeSantis replicates with less baggage the Donald Trump sort of brazen approach, mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of which pulls well, despite what we're told about what a savage he is. When you get down to the masking uh, and, and several other policies, uh, people like it and, it and it is pulled well. And he is seen as a sentient, whereas Trump is seen uh, as a little bit passe by many. So it's uh, like the African bush, the new lion has emerged and he will kill the old lion and take over the pride. It, it could very well be. But with that said, keep in mind what you just said about Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush was thought, hey, this is going to be a cakewalk. You start way out ahead. Who knows? Another challenger could appear. Another challenger could appear, and there are several chomping at the bit. Mm. Whether so, so, all in all, you're saying that Donald Trump is going to be finished politically. It's the beginning of the end. The Trump tide will recede. 
I think it's very hard for Donald Trump to come back from where he is. And honestly, the January 6th committee proved only a few things. It, it attempted to show what a lousy person Donald Trump is, but it also allowed Republicans and to some degree moderates to say, to, to buy into or believe the narrative that Trump is persecuted. If you look at the composition of that committee, the Nancy Pelosi chose all the Republicans, i.e. two, that it was hugely overweighed in terms of Democrats, that the Democrats had the subpoena power, that they had the senior staff. So to cut to the chase, uh, Trump can play the victim and still come back. He could. And Democrats have tried to resuscitate Trump only to kill him, except now they might have finally massacred the great evil of oh. our democracy. And that's not good for so Democrats. Then, so then Trump could go back to top level shagging. Trump can, uh, you know. And Viagra sales will go I, up. I, so we should, <laughs> we, we should buy stock, Viagra stock. Trump will have nothing to do, no Twitter to tweet about. I, I will. How I, cross he is. And, and no speeches. No, he's back give. on Twitter. He's back, is he on, back Twitter? on Twitter. But I, he's not I tweeting as much. He's not, he's not tweeting. Well, he's got well, his own thing buy, to sell. Let's buy Viagra stock. That's the tip for all our listeners. Because Trump won't have much to do soon. I think so. Now, another thing that where the plot thickens is we have to see what's going to happen uh, in 2024, uh, Democrats have to defend 23 seats, uh, mm. some of which are in swing states. Republicans only have 11 seats that they have to defend mostly mm. in safe seats. The other question is, do we have... So that have, means come... In uh, the Senate. Yeah, come two years, the Senate will flip. Yeah, and, and I don't see any, any sense that the Democrats are particularly introspective at this moment, coming off of a surprisingly good run. Mm. Uh, we also have a perspective or a potential uh, uh, recession. And uh, we saw today the interest rates, uh, you know, the U.S. Fed raised them by half a point. So uh, and markets and fell. Markets fell. So that shows you how optimistic the markets were that they were going to, you know, that the Fed was going to sit down and They're say. They're probably snorting too much cocaine. <laughs> well, I hope they're having a good time one way or the well, other. Well, I mean, but, look, look, I, uh, you know, we've spoken about this a lot uh, I was always against quantitative easing. I thought that uh, um, uh, the modern monetary theory or the this, new I was monetary ask you theory, I mean, yeah. it was all bunkum. Uh, the fact that you could print money endlessly and it wouldn't reflect in inflation was a historical accident. I've always compared quantitative easing to, believe it or not, uh, the Portuguese and the Spanish finding silver in the new world. And what most people forget is that it didn't lead to Portugal and Spain becoming great economic powers, but it led to inflation. It led to very high asset prices there. Yes, some fancy buildings were built, but eventually those mercantilist empires collapsed. And what people forget is a third of the silver that flowed out of the new world ended up in China. And that, because of the single whip law in 1580, led to the collapse of the Ming dynasty, because that Inflation was imported all the way into China. And so when you print money a lot and it's not showing up in inflation, that could be because the labor supply expanded dramatically after 1991 because the Cold War was won, the mm. Berlin Wall had fallen, and there was a huge influx of billions of people into the workforce. And of course, there were efficiency gains due to automation, lots of other stuff. You could make stuff more easily, more cheaply, you could transport things in container ships. But that era of Lala, 
world of uh, and peace Goldilocks dividends. and peace, peace dividends, dividends and Goldilocks economy has gone because of the supply shock on 24th February 2022, thanks to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So to back up just a little bit, do we see, is this the stake in the heart of modern monetary theory? Oh, yes. Thank God. Yeah, <laughs> they're dead. They're dead for now. I mean, like Dracula, they've, yeah. been, they've been shown the cross or something. And Good. They're, they're, they're back in the grave because now central bankers are raising interest rates. They have to raise interest rates. They have to get the monster of inflation under control. Inflation is over 10% in Europe. By the way, Europe doesn't have supplies of natural gas, unlike the US. The US mm. has a hedge. Mm. Other countries are suffering more. There's a huge debt crisis all across the emerging markets, especially in Africa and Latin America. So as interest rates rise, debt repayments become more expensive. So now we are entering a very different stagflationary crisis. And with the oil price hike, that's like 1973. So you mentioned stagflation, which is terrifying to most. Anyone who, who was alive 40 plus years ago yeah. remembers uh, it was Which is not too disastrous. many people, apparently. Do you, not too many people. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, I, I'm in the room with one of them. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you're not going to call me out, huh? No, no, no. You, you're youthful. You, you have uh, Samson-like locks whilst I'm I, holding uh, the phone. I have Samson-like locks. Wandering to my death. I was, I was sucking on a nipple at that time, so, uh, exactly. I, but I don't recall it. Uh, but So do you think these stagflationary times, what, what do you think that, that portends? How long could this go on? Well, this will go on for a while because... Uh, now the genie is out of the bottle. So even if the war ends tomorrow, which will, which it will not, uh, you will still have higher interest rates because now the the um, cycle of the expectations has been set off. Right, right. So strikes yeah. are occurring. In the NHS nurses are on strike. So or you're you're talking about a wage price vicious spiral, cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah spiral. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you foresee that going on potentially for a while? I see that at least for the next two, three years. We, we have a stagflation crisis. And, um, and China used to be the workshop of the world. But post-COVID, it's not seen as a reliable partner, economic yeah. partner. Geopolitical risk has gone up. Taiwan is another flashpoint. Well, and yes. to that point, we're seeing where they're talking about having 25% of uh, iPhones made in India. Uh, yeah. But India has its own problems right now. In fact, uh, you and I saw in recent days the uh, Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can pronounce it better. Than I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, to be fair, we, to be fair, I went there as a child, so yeah. I know that part of the world, a historic part of the world, actually. So, so uh, I doubt you saw this in your childhood. What, what, what is going on just in the last few days? Well, yes. Uh, remember, India was deeply traumatized after the 1962 defeat. Um, and I have met numerous uh, family friends. I come from a military family and relatives who, uh, till their dying day, were scarred by 1962. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. 1962 was a catastrophic defeat. And, and India never built infrastructure in the border areas. Part of the reasoning was, well, if we build infrastructure, the Chinese are just going to go use the roads and come down and mm -hmm. take our planes. Mm -hmm. It's only recently that we've gone into a major... Um, infrastructure building spree, highways, roads right till the border force. And the Chinese are miffed because the Chinese have followed, particularly since 2013, under Xi Jinping, uh, a policy of um, uh, salami slicing. Salami slicing, yeah. And so they, they, they take a valley which where Indian troops uh, may not be there for the winter. They take the peak here and there. 
they, they don't like direct confrontation because they can't take casualties and their infantry right. isn't very good. Whenever we have bish bash bosh, uh, we give them a hiding. Well, if we talk about the infrastructure wars, one of the things I keep encountering in the papers is that, you know, India could be the new manufacturing base. I know we've gone to Southeast Asia, Vietnam and, and elsewhere. But if India could only get its infrastructure in place, then they and, and could the be... government is trying. There are other things the government has to get in place. It has to tame its extremely inefficient and corrupt bureaucracy, mm -hmm. um, which simply does not work. Yeah. Uh, so that is certainly something to, to, to control. But on the whole, the government is trying. And India, on the whole, is in the mood for growth, is in the mood for jobs. So the zeitgeist has changed. So and, and, and to go back uh, to, 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 to that change in zeitgeist, that's why you're seeing this massive construction of highways right till the border regions. And there's an aptitude, there, sorry, there's an appetite in India to stand up to China now. Uh, there mm. is a new nationalism. In, there, there's in a sense of, of being ascendant. Now, you, you yeah. said earlier that India is trying, but, yeah. but you're saying they are doing it, that they're, they're actually doing it. building they're doing this. It. And, and look, uh, the most recent incursions, uh, I've been told there were quite a few Chinese soldiers in the hundreds, and they were trying to take over Indian territory, and there was uh, a bit of bish bash bosh, and we beat them off. Um, literally with sticks. <laughs> okay. uh, in fact, uh, in 2020, um, my, you know, you've read the piece. I wrote a 13,000. That's right. Yeah. Piece. Excellent piece. Yeah. On Fair Observer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with the retired um, chief of Indian intelligence and one of uh, your boys, retired CIA man, whom we yeah. know, Glenn Carl. And uh, we analyzed the whole history of the conflict. Um, and in a way, the, the border is still not defined. The line of actual control is not defined. And and because it is not defined, it's a gray zone, and the Chinese want to take the most aggressive claim, and they want to establish facts on the ground by establishing forward positions. And we obviously don't want that. We want to retain our land as we see it. So, so the approach of, of China, I mean, I think some people might draw parallels to Russia. There's an article in today's Wall Street Journal that where she uh, uh, said to Putin, uh, you and I have similar personalities, apparently, in 2013. So the salami slicing is is uh, an old approach. It's an old, I would say China is a bit different in the sense they, at the same time, they're more powerful and more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So they always uh, try to avoid full frontal confrontation. Um, but it's the same pattern that they've been using in South China Sea, building islands, the same pattern they use vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan, vis-a-vis -vis Japan, vis-a-vis -vis South Korea. So they take the most forward claim and they, they try all the time to have this policy of aggressive defense. Right. And I remember when I was on Capitol Hill, when they were uh, building the islands, then militarizing them. And they yeah. kept saying, oh, we promise we're not doing this. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. And everyone looked the other way. And it was, it was astonishing to me. Yeah. And, and the difference now is that Indians are not willing to look the other way. And so... We are committing troops, our troops are standing up. And in fact, I've been told by intelligence sources, both in MI6 and CIA, that Xi's policy to make Chinese boys more manly yes. was partly informed by the fact that the Chinese soldiers got such a beating in the last confrontation on 15 June 2020. So do you see this as a frozen conflict moving forward? Do you, do you um, think this is going to sort of stay status quo. So, so both countries, um, at least the top political leadership in both countries doesn't want all out war. That's mm -hmm. why you see the comments 
oh, there was a flag meeting, the general screwed it off. Uh, that is true, but at the same time, ch Chinese soldiers get brownie points if they if they if they take more territory. So yeah. I see this um, as a situation which is dangerous, uh, akin to pre-World War One, when people accidentally drifted to war. So I think it's well, an unstable situation, and at some point things may blow up. And you can also argue that the Chinese don't want to get bogged down in India when they're thinking about Taiwan. Yes. So they're they're looking. I, I don't understand the wisdom of their actions yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, with that said, we have uh, some people who are coming into the carriage house to join us, and uh, we will be off. We're going to have a nice evening, and uh, there we have it. There we have it. Uh, we've got uh, Trump, inflation. China and India, and we will join you all very, very soon. Thank you very much. Pramadal Singh and Christopher Rupershell in the fancy carriage house in Washington, <laughs> D.C. It is goodbye for now. Cheers. <laughs>